0: And we're back for another part train. Serm's fired up. I'm fired back. up. Stratton is nowhere to be found, but we love him anyways. Never. We're back. Damn. We just had Dottie Pepper on the show. We love him. Though. Her third time, incredible. But before we get into our intro about what Dottie and us talked about, we just got our rowback vests. Wow! And um, I was in sh- uh, Chicago last week with Serm, and he was wearing yeah. it out. And yeah. uh, the-, the bleaker. We got the bleaker. It's the light blue. Um, we awesome. both had mediums. It fits like a dream. Yeah. I mean, what do you want to say about the vests?
1: I think it's a great look. Incredibly <laughs> sleek. Incredibly, incredibly comfy. Strategically placed zippers for oh, yeah. storage. Yeah. I mean, you pointed out the zipper inside.
0: Didn't even know the vest.
1: about it. I was like, well, I was like, this is incredible, right? You know. You know? Um, no, they're they're really sharp. I mean, you can do a lot with it. Go the when I had a button down going. You could do kind of a long sleeve
0: sweatshirt. I mean, classy but comfortable. (laughs) Strat says it's the most versatile garment that exists. So that's one. I found in in my time vests are tricky because they're either too light and they do nothing or they're too puffy and it's too warm and it's hard to swing around. Or
1: like certain popular brands, start with a P, get
0: kind of, you know, That like poof out right yeah, at the bottom poofy. near your light. So, um, but roback is like it's performance. If you want to, it's perfect. If you want to have your
1: best, if you want to have your best day,
0: Roback. Oh, yeah, uh, that's, that's what he did. Okay.
1: No, uh, they're awesome. They're awesome. Everyone needs to check them out because it's a new product on Roback.com, on roback.com a newer product, and I think they're flying off the shelves.
0: Yeah, we couldn't even get the color we wanted because they're sold out. Um, I wanted the black, and we went with bleaker, which oh. is still awesome. But okay, so enter the code enter the code train, T R A I N for twenty yeah. percent off. Uh, that's their Black Friday discount. You get it all year. And go get yourself a vest. It's still cold out. Everybody needs to get on the rollback train. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So Dottie. Dottie Pepper. This is your first time talking with her before it was just me. Yeah. What'd you think, sir?
1: Just an incredible interview. We covered we covered a wide range of things from her career, where the industry's at, from a telecast perspective. Um, a little bit of mental game. It was awesome. it was I was just pumped to get a chance to talk with her, Ab because we've had her on twice, and for whatever reason, I just couldn't make the the episode. So she's just just a wonderful person, and i think I think the listeners are going to love this one,
0: yeah, I think she gives a lot of amazing perspective on what it takes to put together a golf broadcast. I mean, there was a lot of controversy around Peter Costas, former CBS golf colleague going on No Laying Up and being pretty frank about why CBS does some things and Twitter a lot of times is in an uproar about the telecast. And the way that Dottie describes it is perfection. I think it just clicked yeah. It clicked right away of like, oh, that's why. Um, so look out for that first time Masters goers because selfishly I'll be going in April. So she gives in a lot of amazing tips wow. on what to Humble do there. Grab there. Um, and yeah, we talk a lot about the mental game and, and things that you can take you know, for your game. So overall, yeah. amazing conversation. We'll stop yapping. We'll get straight to uh, the interview here.
1: Must listen. Let's do it.
0: And we're back with one of our favorite guests, third time appearance, Dottie Pepper. Welcome back to the show.
2: I get both of you this time. Wow. <laughs> hey, Dottie. Yeah, unfortunately <laughs> Stratton couldn't there make it, third. but at least we get yeah. two out of the, two out of the three. <laughs> two out of three—that that puts you well. That's that's meatloaf. Two out of three ain't bad.
0: Right, oh, exactly. Great rations. Yeah. So you know we like to start you off with something fun. Um, we hmm? recently had Colt, aka Coat, guest on the show this week. Coat. and he loved that by the way he knew exactly what we were going to ask as soon as we brought up your name um so we wanted to do cbs and coat a favor we wanted to make sure that cbs's recent hire of him would be a good one so we put coat to the test and we gave him three scenarios on the course and we're going to play it for you right now and then once it's done i
2: already I, i listened yeah
0: Okay. Well, let's play it again for those that haven't listened. I love your prep. You're, she's always prepared, you know? Um, and you give your critique, and you tell us if, if he's ready for the big time. Sound good? Okay. Okay. Yep. There we go. Oh, yeah. It looks like uh, Phil strained his calf while walking downhill at the 7th at Pebble. Colt, what are you seeing?
2: Yeah, Phil, after trying to hit one of his patented bombs and then hit it so far offline, he had to walk up this steep hill to find his ball, and his. Then- He looks like he might have strained his calf a little bit, and I don't know if he's going to be able to continue, but uh, with this new physique he has, he'll probably be able to tough it out.
0: Wow. Okay, that's great. Um, Also, um, Cole, it looks like, speaking of bombs, Tiger just dropped a 30-foot bomb on 14, um, but he ripped off his hat to celebrate, revealed he might have shaved his head. Can you get a good look from where you're at?
2: Um, I did get a good look, and all I can say is it's about time. Uh, He needed to let that thing
0: go a few years ago, and I'm I'm, I'm very happy with his decision coming from a, a fellow bald guy. New decade, new tiger. Love it. Okay, the third. Um, yeah, the rumor on tour, Cole, is that Ricky Fowler has gotten a TikTok. Have you seen it? Any, any thoughts on the content strategy?
2: I'll be honest. I have no idea what TikTok is, but if it's in the social media world, I would not be one bit surprised Ricky Fowler has experimented with TikTok. Let's go in reverse order. Three, TikTok. Mm-hmm. I thought he was trying to channel his inner Bill Belichick. Remember when Belichick said, I don't know what the insta twit is or something. Oh,
3: like yeah. That. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just that was the first thing that popped just into my mind. He, yeah.
2: just, <laughs> he just went Belichick on us. It was great. Second was self deprecation at its best. Loved it. Okay. Fellow bald guy. Yeah. Number three, he broke every rule of reporting. Oh, no. Never speculate.
0: Good. Oh, he speculated. Never
2: speculate. It Uh-oh. looks like he, I, yeah, that, that's, that's journalism one-on-one. So again, two out of three, not bad.
0: Okay. Yeah. Back, back and, if, to and, Milo.
2: If and if, and if he'll Phil's hitting bombs on the seventh at Pebble, we're all in
0: trouble. Very true. That's another great point. <laughs> all right. Well, yours, yours is going to be his new colleague. Maybe we should reach out to him and give him a couple pointers, you know?
2: Let's do it again. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. That's pretty good though. Yeah. Never speculate.
1: Daddy, before we, um, Tune into this. We, we got to talk about the passing of Mickey, right? Um, oh, man. Legend yeah. of the golf world, the sports world. I mean, next to Annika, really the greatest of all time. And maybe, Daddy, could you reflect on Mickey and if you have any memories, experien- experiences or thoughts on her career as a player and as a person?
2: I'm going to I'm going to come back
1: at you at that moment because Kathy
2: Whitworth at 88 is the greatest women player of all time.
1: Yeah. yeah. OK, we got to debate there. Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, Mickey Wright, as far as major championships, greatest of all time. And and I say that also because she played in such a compressed span of time. She walked away really at the height of her physical prowess. Uh, I don't think many people realize that essentially the, the health and future of the LPGA at that time depended on Mickey Wright, playing golf and sponsors would say no we're not putting the money up to play if she does for for you guys to play for if she doesn't play she was that important i hope sometime i mean people talk about her her golf swing if you get a chance to look back at the 1964 piece that they ran on her women's open victory at home in san diego She showed such great vulnerability and honesty talking about how hard that one was. It was her fourth, Mm. um, to win at home. It was the only one her parents saw her win the expectations of not only the national open, but of playing at home and being the best player and having to get through and well, having the ball up and down at the 72nd to force an 18 hole playoff on Monday. It was just, it was just terrific. And she was, a typical uh, understated grace. If anybody gets a chance to
1: watch it, please do it. Sure, that's that. That's great to hear you. you talk about her. You know, Dottie. Who did you emulate or look up to? Um, on the you know, on the LPGA when you were growing up uh, playing. I think it just kind of makes for certainly good conversation.
2: Yeah. No. Um. I I was really fortunate to have played when I turned pro. At the time I I played because. I played with such remarkable women, uh, let alone competitors. I, I mean, my first Dinah, I was paired with Louise Sugg. Hmm. And Lopez was still winning golf tournaments. She and Bradley, you go on and on, Mal and Daniel. They were all winning golf tournaments when, when I came up through, but as a kid, Lopez had won, had gone on that crazy run as a rookie, winning including in Rochester here in my home state of New York. So she was somebody that I naturally looked up to. I mean, I did a book report on her in, in grade school. So I, I, I just think That's I was great. really lucky to have played at the, at the time I played and the people that uh, were leaving the game and I still had access to and, and contact with uh, Patty Berg, Judy Rankin. Sure. Uh, I I, I, I'm coming at it through only my lens, but I don't think I could have played golf at a better time and yeah. had access to all of those women who did so much. Marlene Hagee. Um, what they did as founders, just outstanding. Shirley's fork. Um, Marilyn Smith. Marilyn Smith came up to me as a rookie on tour, my first Dinah and introduced herself and, you know, just full of energy and this is great. This new wave of kids coming out. You guys can really play. You're going to do so much for our tour. Uh, I'm. Couldn't have played at a more fortunate
1: time. Certainly, arguably the golden era of the tour. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that kind of makes you think of Cole, a.k.a. Coat. When he was on the show <laughs> last uh, week, um, we asked him what was something that took him a while to learn while being on tour. Now, it sounds like you've listened to the episode um, and he talked about um, patience and rest. Um, were the two things, that, especially around travel. So I wanted to get your thoughts there when you started playing competitively and consistently with all those great players and you know, making it a lifestyle.
2: I completely agree. And, and if you talk to really anybody after they've gone through a year, year and a half, especially if they've had some success where they can then start to pick a schedule, they say they played too much, played too many in a row and didn't use their Mondays and Tuesdays uh, to good enough long-term value, uh, playing Monday pro-ams and just trying to figure out all of these new golf courses. When the best thing you can probably do is go in with a clearer fresher mind, uh, to be able to take it. And and I think balancing people, you have know, caddies coming at you and managers, and uh, it, there's just so much that you don't face even playing amateur golf at the highest level during the managed an entire week and rips of week in a row that you even if you're playing in college golf you're going to play half a dozen tournaments in the spring and maybe four in the in the fall and have dedicated time and structured practices and all during during school time and the winter and there's just not that ultra balance that you have to have to play at the professional level and the other thing too when I've gone to, to talk to golf teams and kids that have been contemplating becoming a professional the business side of it, uh, taking care of your expenses and getting receipts, and and understanding sure. that just because I'm on the road and it's Hilton Head Week, oh, that tax day doesn't doesn't go away. <laughs> I'm still responsible for right. doing what everybody else does on a on a day to day quote unquote regular life. All of that still applies.
1: You're running your own business.
2: <laughs> well, my dad told me, and this was, and I thought it was a little bit of an overstatement at the time, but he was right that. You are your own CEO, marketing department, and finance department.
0: Spot Dottie, Dottie, you mentioned balance. Um, What's your routine now? Because I think this is something not everybody can relate to playing professional golf, but everyone can relate Mm. to traveling for work. And now you're on the road a lot. And I know Mm -hmm. it's tough for people to maintain balance and feel like their best selves when they're on the road. Whether that's Mm -hmm. diet, whether that's sleep patterns, and being in hotels, what's your routine to try and remain and feel like your best self on the road?
2: Uh, I'm a nester. I bring, I bring things from home. I have my backpack that's always ready to go, Um, and I also use a travel company, a, a logistics company called Duffel. So I have, I don't wait in airports anymore for luggage. It's been the biggest thing. All of my stuff, my own clothing whether it's contract clothing or just regular home clothing is sitting in a warehouse in indianapolis and i get on the on the website or on the app and pick what i want and where i want it sent three days ahead of time it arrives i have them come pick it back up and in 10 days or so it's back in circulation washed hung ready to be sent back out so that whoa when i get off that's great right and it really they go oh no it's a it's a clothing supply company. No, it's a logistics company. It's been the biggest change for me. So I have three sets of a bathroom kit and they just rotate in and out. So I have to be a little organized. I mean, I got to keep out three days and, and know what the hotel is we're saying or the private house or whatever it is. But it has changed the way I travel. So when I come home, I'm not doing laundry. I'm not trying to get meals on at home. We figured out where to go to have. Meal supply at home, because when I'm on the road, I don't love eating out or, yeah. or when'm i home. Um, so that's become a big part of balance. I um, working with a Pilates trainer for the last year and a half and spend time on my bike downstairs, watching golf. so i'm 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 multitasking a lot, and I'm a schedule freak. Mm-hmm. I, I learned this from a my my college roommate was a double major, so she had to be extremely organized. Um, but also, the guy I worked for at ESPN, Mike McQuaid, four kids. And he didn't miss many baseball games. um, And his kids were color-coded on his schedule every week. (laughs) That's how how you do it. My schedule is (laughs) color-coded. Yeah, well, my husband's doing personal stuff, home maintenance, whatever it might be, um, so I can look at it real quick and know where the priority items are. So that when it's time to shut it off, and it's just our personal time. It's truly that.
0: So, real quick, does this mean you don't travel with bags?
2: I do not. I have a, I have a my my purse and my backpack. That's it.
0: Wow. Duffel. Wow. Duffel. We're gonna have to C- check it out. We gotta, get, we gotta get
1: these guys L. on.
3: <laughs> okay.
2: That Pat, I got found out from Pat Perez, and it has changed the there way I travel. Wow. It's a hundred dollars a week. It's worth every nickel. Wow. Wow. This is
0: great. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of
2: a round trip. I
0: should say if duffel is duffels fun, this is going to be fun too. We had to ask you this next question <laughs> because this, we just, actually, I was just telling you before we started recording, I was in Chicago last week and I went out to dinner with uh Cermak and, and our ladies. And I always love asking this question at a dinner, especially with people that don't know each other because it creates such mm-hmm. a, an intense debate. And it's not necessarily about golf, but it's about the cities in the United States. And since you've traveled so much, we figured you'd be mm-hmm. the perfect person to ask. So, oh, <laughs> if so, <laughs> no, don't worry. Okay, so <laughs> let's say that a, someone you know is coming to visit the United States for the first time, and they probably won't be back. Mm. Okay, you okay. can only tell them five cities to visit, and the point is to get a. Full view of what America has to offer. What's your five cities that they have to visit?
2: This is a sports, culture,
0: everything view. Yeah, should I give you my top five to give you context? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So,
2: yeah, let me, let me. All right, Sir CIRMAC,
0: yeah. gonna be upset about this because Chicago's not in it. But um, it's New York and L.A. New York for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. L.A. is you get California and Hollywood. Um, then it's D.C because it's the heart of America and how it's run, so D.C. feels like a must. Then I went Nashville, because of the South and the heart of country music.
2: The music and all of that, yep.
0: And then I went Denver to give them the sense of the mountains and other part of terrain of what America has to offer.
1: Daddy, don't you love how he says D.C. is the heart of America when it's not the Midwest? We know we know what he's well, trying that, to that, get at, but it's just so,
3: unbelievable.
2: Yeah, so, so you go back to, I think, I, I can't remember if it was, it was an old Golf Channel show, and Frank Novello being a Kiwi, of course, um, said,
1: you know, here we are in D.C., the heartland of America. Yeah.
2: yeah I didn't, uh, yeah. I didn't say, no, say no,
0: heartland. Right? I did say always? heart.
1: <laughs> Kansas City is, okay, Daddy, go ahead. Now that you've got correct, to I mean, I'm I'm taking I'm taking Des Moines or Kansas City before I'm going in Washington D.C.
2: for the heartland of America. Absolutely. Um. Wow. So I New York certainly.
3: Yeah. <sighs> it's tough.
2: I got to put Chicago on my list.
3: Wow, Cermak.
2: Chicago's on my list. I'm just partly kidding. partly because well, I think there's everything you want from a sports sense in Chicago. Hmm. From to, to the niche to big time. And I also think it's a more center of the country version of New York. So you have a lot of the same attractions, but you have wider corridors and yep. bigger green
1: spaces. Hmm. Uh, I might say nice, be, nicer people, too, you know. Now, careful. I am an upstate New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's always funny to talk
3: to New York people about that. I want them to say yeah, it. You know?
1: we have, yeah, we have the." We
2: have the western, we have central, we have eastern, we have and then everybody else thinks you're from New York City. I'm like, Do I sound like I'm from New York City? Not Absolutely. for a minute. Absolutely. Uh, and I certainly don't sound like Long Island. I would say South, I would take Atlanta because of the history of the South. Interesting. So I've got New York, Chicago, Atlanta. You gotta have something on the west coast, so I guess I'm gonna give into I'm gonna give into LA.
0: A lot of um, people argue San Francisco. It's an interesting debate.
2: Mm, I know. I, I think from the Hollywood, from the from the entertainment side, yeah, everything from music to to films. I, I think you get you have to kind of go LA. Uh, one of my favorite, I'm going to say Fort Worth. You're going to think I'm nuts because it's it's Western without being totally
1: the old West, totally yeah.
2: Western,
3: yeah,
2: Southern without being totally Southern. So I think it's it's my crossover where you have Denver. I love Fort Worth.
0: Got it. Yeah, it that's always sparks great debates. It's, we yeah, wanted
2: that's, that. That's a
1: good question. Daddy, switching back a little bit to golf and your career, um, for the listeners, your your two best seasons on tour were 1992 and 1996. Yeah, I think you had a combined eight wins. You had a major. I mean, you had all, all throughout the 90s, you, you were just playing great. But the, those two stick out, at least from a statistical perspective, um, in wins. Yeah. Can you maybe reflect a little bit on some of the keys of those great seasons? Um, routine, swing keys, mental thoughts? 92
2: was really a byproduct of 91 because I finished third on the money list and didn't win a golf tournament <laughs> um, and played a lot, played a lot. And I think finished the year in, at the World Championship down in Australia, which Meg Mellon, I still don't think, has gotten a trophy for winning. It disappeared somewhere. 90, 96 was a rebound in some personal ways because I'd gotten dwarfed in 95, but 96 was also the beginning of that year. I played some really lousy golf, and I, I gave myself a forced sabbatical. I withdrew from two tournaments, went home to South Carolina. I lived on, on Glassy Mountain at the time, golf course, driving range at the bottom of the hill near my golf near my home, and I did two a day. And I just found it in the dirt until my hands bled. And that led to I think I won four golf tournaments in seven or eight weeks, and then was so worn out that <laughs> I was spent for the whole fall. I was useless but um and i I was particularly proud of ninety six because i I did just pull the rip cord and said, "This is not working and sure, I had my teacher fly in for two days, and I spent two weeks, literally just two a days and put my mother in the golf cart, and I walked this hilly mountain golf course. it was like I was just a, a forced complete reset sure I put her in the cart and I said just just keep up with me I, I don't want to carry it but I need to walk and I need to find I need to post the score and I need to find it again and um I, I was I was really proud of that Logan asked with the hands yeah, bleeding. It was, <laughs> it was, and you know what so that was some of the film I looked at um wow. there I remember sitting around the table downstairs and I had the Hogan book out, and my teacher and I looking at it, and I just kind of emblazoned those. The, the, him at on the way down was the focus, because he just dropped the club in the slot and down so, so beautifully. And
1: that was the only thing I thought about for the rest of the year, get the club down. You posted on Instagram, industry colleague Ian Baker Finch, um, he had <laughs> given you a, um, a putting tip in your last one yep. in 2000. And um, Ian was obviously a terrific player, a major winner, but I'm really, we're really interested in this story because Ian famously struggled with his putting in the mid-90s, and, um, and it's something he really had to work on. So could you mm-hmm. <laughs> give us a minute-by-minute minute there, maybe what that well, lesson was like? Well, I think he made himself a very good putter. Sure.
2: Um, and the only thing, I, if, I, if I had to think about, since he's standing over a golf ball and the way it came off the face, it was that the ball came off um, very silky. And there was a, there was a roll to it. It wasn't a pop to it. And we didn't really get into any of that. He just had noticed that I wasn't really staying in the pot or there was an anxiousness about maybe results. And he had me focused just he a pick one dimple, pick any dimple on the golf ball and wear it out. Don't, don't move anything. Um, be totally focused on that dimple, and I putted the living eyes out of it. And I still go back if I if I'm out hitting putts and things are kind of getting a little wonky, or I'm getting some mishits hits, or my speed's not very good. Let's just drill this right down to one dimple, and because I can do that, I can focus on that, and then naturally your. I believe your feel starts to come back and then this whole shroud of trying to be too perfect is
0: lifted. So I just, I just need to practice until my hands bleed and then focus on one dimple.
2: <laughs> I didn't say it was going to be easy. <laughs> simple. Yeah. It's easy. No.
0: All right. I'm taking notes. Good, cha- good, good challenge for I'm you. In a, I'm in a real dark place right now. On the, on the oh, course, there you go. Place. Here we go. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. So changing gears, yeah. uh, we talked before, and, you know, Peter Casas, your old colleague, was on No Laying Up this past week. And he said a lot of interesting things about the challenges of CBS golf to deliver what the fans want, but just broadcast in, in general. Um, and it was interesting to hear a lot of it comes down to money, which, you know, a lot of things are the money to get more cameras. And I thought it was interesting. He said how the rights keep going up from the PJ Tour. And so for CBS, not,
2: or, not just the PGA Tour. Let's look at greater sports in general. Yeah, right. the NFL coming
0: up here soon yeah, too. Yeah, good point. Sports oh. in general, the mm-hmm. rights keep going up, mm-hmm. and so therefore, from a business standpoint, it's interesting to think about. Well, if your costs keep going up from a rights standpoint, it's hard from a business standpoint to add cameras, which also add costs. Right, you got to offset that cost That's somewhere. Correct. And so, I was wondering if you had any ideas for what you could do. That doesn't require more money that would add mm-hmm. to the viewing experience for the fans.
2: So let's, let's, let's go back to the, the basics of yeah. everybody, everybody wants to see, or at least I'm, I'm hearing, that people want to see every shot. Yeah. Well, that's expensive because what has to happen for every shot, you have to have cameras. In order to have cameras, you have to have camera operators. In order to have camera operators, you have to put people on the road you have to feed them, you have to house them, you have to transport them and you have unions in a lot of situations that tell you how long they can work and how many people have to come in in relief. so as you're going through all of this it's going to Ching
3: to Ching to Ching to
2: Ching. <laughs> it's expensive to put to put television to put anything on television to begin with, let alone what essentially amounts to 18 football games what a golf tournament is it's 18 football games
3: yeah
2: it's actually more than that because there's potentially more than one game going on on a whole for example a long par four or a par five so so let's say we have really 25 football games that's a big chunk of change right so we have to figure out a way for everybody who wants to if they want to see every shot that's essentially saying, I want to fly private. But I only want to pay a ticket that's the value of Southwest Airlines. That's, that doesn't work. That's a great point.
0: Mm, that's, that's a, a great, great point. way to say it, yeah.
2: I'm either going to have to pay a lot more money through my cable distributor for this dedicated channel, and it's, or is gonna have to be behind a paywall, or you're just gonna have to have a dedicated, that you can do a la carte I can pay for that particular programming. Mm-hmm. But you can't fly private for the cost of Southwest.
3: <laughs>
2: what you can do as I think technology goes forward, you can have robotic cameras. So you have a capital expense up front. You have to have those cameras installed, but you don't necessarily have operators. They can become that you got that joystick in in the television production truck. And they can queue up those cameras. To me, that's one of the very few ways you can cut costs if people want to see every shot.
0: Hmm. It's got to
2: be by technology and by robots.
0: It was fascinating when I heard Peter say that Fox loses millions on their uh, U.S. Open. And it's kind of a loss leader. And they, they accept that. And they hope to pick it up in other places because they do other sports. But... Um, but
2: what, but what, what would they also launch at the same time that they signed that USGA contract? Not all of their programming is on Fox on the main network. Mm, they at the same time launched yeah. FS One. They had to have programming. Yeah. So it was worth it for them to have that new channel have top quality sports programming. They hadn't have that.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I th- I'd say my one follow up here is, um, you know, with the money issue. Of the cost, mm-hmm. what's the other side of that mm-hmm. that's sponsors, right and offsetting that's that right. with sponsor obligations. so I w- really wanted to dig into is it a challenge, do you think with the quality of the product that the is the broadcast to balance sponsor mm-hmm. obligations with showing what the fans want to see?
2: It's very difficult, and I, I think there's there's a way to I saw this on Oh, I can't even remember what sport I was watching on television, but it jumped up. Oh, it's college football. Um, they did, they still maintained the game going through. So they had like two thirds of the screen that was still action going on. And the other third was around the perimeter of the screen was the advertising. So it really wasn't like we do the eye on CBS or playing through as they do at NBC, but it was, it was fixed ad space, so it wasn't video space, so it wasn't a typical 30-second you know, commercial or something like that, but it still made you aware that that ad was there. So now you have to get the feedback and see if the advertiser thinks that that's worthy of the amount of dollars that they're spending, but it seems to me that there will be more ways, something like that, hmm. that you could get your ads out there. Without being completely uh, backlogging a live show.
3: Right. Golf is sure.
2: It, it's so different because it never stops. When we go to commercial, and that tape, tape truck is getting further backed up, backed up, backed up, backed up, because there's still golf going on. It's not like NFL, or totally. many other sports, where when you go to break, when there's a timeout, there's nothing else happening. So yeah, everybody takes a deep breath, you have a look at where we're going. What the next potential play might be, and it's pretty calm. It's actually more hot in a golf truck during commercials because it
1: doesn't stop. Right. It's amazing how much more got more of the sport there is to watch just generally, and at least maybe the younger audiences seem to want more, Mm -hmm. and in so many different ways, right? And I think that's. But you're kind of in it. Go ahead.
2: But that also gets back to cost. Um, and right. you're also, here's the other thing I think people are starting to realize, especially those of us who are live on the road in these shows, the more technology we add, the more bells and whistles that are on these telecasts, I think you you balance, you run a, you're on a very edgy line between being um, poetic about what you're watching, giving content, giving stories to um, just having being in a concert where your head's about to explode and it's so loud and there's so much going on that you lose that that delicate balance. And it and I think that goes with every sport. But also the fear the the mere physical presence of what it takes to put on a golf tournament now, because there are so many more technical parts to it, so many more platforms, we're outgrowing television compounds. There's no space for any more trucks. So if you have Sky there, if you have CBS doing it, if you have PGA Tour Live, all of that, they all have their own little mini city.
3: All this new media.
2: Right. 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 So we're literally running out of space to do television on site at certain golf courses. Colonial is a disaster. We're in a neighborhood. And we've got trucks lined up on one. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. No so land. We also, there's no land. Are we, at, are we running the risk of not being able to have golf tournaments at these really cool sites, not because of the technology with the golf ball and the clubs, but simply because of what we're being asked to put on television?
1: Right. I mean, it was always the old adage, just like certain courses could never hold tournaments because they didn't have the grandstand capabilities. Now you're creating, there's that, right? And now you're talking about a whole new issue. Um, They've had to move the
2: compounds, uh, since I've worked at CBS. the compound is in a different place at Memorial. It's com- it's at, it's across the road near the other golf course. It's not even sure. within the confines of, of Nearfield village anymore. Of sure. the golf course itself. And that's becoming more, more and more prevalent. Um, next, next week it's the Honda classic, the compound at NBC, it's you're talking like, walk single file between these trucks there's no more space and then you have to you know you're trying to feed these people because if you're on the air with even pga tour radio or pga tour live from eight o'clock till six o'clock you gotta feed them too
3: right
0: that means you gotta 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 walk you gotta walk farther with your milkshakes at the memorial that's i mean your hands are gonna get They're gonna freeze.
2: Good God! You don't. You can't have that buckeye milkshake
1: melt. You can't have that happen. No. No. (laughs) There are some things that are not tolerable. Well, well, Daddy, I think what we're what we're getting at here, and I think because Peter Casas talked about this, is there. It's this idea of making everything towards the younger generation, right? Like I think, at least the millennial generation or the new like wants their cake and eat it too, and you kind of made that funny reference. A true reference about flying first class and Southwest. So the I guess the the middle to older generation is planned planned their Sundays around watching four to five hours of coverage. My dad for years. Are right. we with all this busyness and all this sports betting and all this activity? Like, are, is there a slippery slope here about alienating the core viewer? Do you know what I'm saying? What are your What are your thoughts there?
2: Well, I think I think that's that's a today risk. And I think down the road, when everybody who's got this device or multiple devices going on at the same time realizes that, that they've fried their brains and they just right. want to sit down and watch sports, let's not make sure we've gone so far to the other side that we can't, we can't do that.
3: Right.
2: I, I mean, right. Here's, you, know, you, you get uh, social media. People are, you know, it's, it's very easy, especially on Twitter. Just hammer away at it. But while you're hammering away at it, you're probably, you've already missed three quality golf shots. And then they're totally. saying that there's no golf shots on. Well, you haven't watched them because you're, you're beating everybody up on Twitter. I, right. I just, there's, I think there's a really, really dicey space that, uh, what are you, what are you on there for? Are you on there to watch the competition? Are you on there to look at great cameras? I mean, you've got to figure out what you want out of this viewing experience to begin with. I watch a lot of golf and I watch a lot of it live. I watch most of it live. I remember having a DVR and thinking this was the greatest thing ever.
3: (laughs) Right. Because it didn't have
2: to, it wasn't (laughs) scheduled. Television It was not appointment television, but I think there's, there's, uh, we're running the risk of going, crossing that line from poetry to technology and not having a whole lot of space in between and alienating, not just today, but, people in the future when they realize that they've just been bombarded with so much that they're really going to enjoy their sports for just watching great athletes in great places doing
1: wonderful things. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk, we're talking about kind of the fan perspective, but from a player perspective, what are your thoughts? There's a lot of talk about the golf premier league idea. I, Mm -hmm. I think Rory came out against it last night, but
0: this I is all Corey about just
1: push. Just, just, yeah. It's, it, it, he, but Justin Rose has said, "Oh, interesting." But this is all around the same idea here, right? Where it was golf need to go for yep. ratings, viewership. What are your thoughts here on these sorts of ideas?
2: I, I think I look at it that the way twenty-five years ago, when the World Tour concept came about. Uh, I think it will end up making the PGA Tour better.
3: Hmm.
2: Competition, in my mind, always makes things makes sure. you figure out who exactly you are, and it makes you better. and And I think that's that is what will happen. I, I think we're going to figure out how to how to make these give everybody some happy medium between running ads and promos con- constantly, and also showing what is termed not enough golf. I, th- I think there's a happy medium there. And we're all still trying to figure this out. And I think it's important to remember too, that we're sitting here with, with all of these wants and quote unquote needs, but we're still dealing with contracts that were done seven, eight years ago. You can't just blow them up. You have people that paid a lot of money and they, dis- they expect that deliverable. And we're also dealing with contracts in the future We have platforms we're we're negotiating for and trying to protect them. We don't even know what they are.
3: Right. Right.
2: We have no idea what it's going to look like, but we're we're all pretending that we have all the answers. We don't even know what it's going to look like. So how can we have the answers?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's speaking of not knowing what it's going to look like. A lot of times, Dottie, you probably don't even have a, a minute or two to prep before a player walks off the course, finishes the round and you've got to ask them a question and this is something that i've i actually have been wanting to ask you for a while it's something i always think about when i watch is because mm. you know we as interviewers ourselves we always try and ask things that are thoughtful and unique right and i know that in the moment it's tough to, to want to ask something that's a little bit different or deeper Outside of the tell me about this round and that shot, but you also don't have a lot of time to think about it. Number one, and you also need to give a question that's true to what the viewer wants. How do you grapple with that to not try right. and ask the same well, thing?
2: I think you start ask, you start thinking about those potential questions much earlier than, than just that one or two minutes. I mean, right. when I was, you know, when I looked like I was going to have to do a winner's interview or whatever, I, I'm starting to think about that on the 17th hole. Mm hmm. And always go back to I had some really good advice early on saying always go back to when, why, how. Mm. Um, I like that. When did you realize that this was, you know, that this win was potentially out there? How is this going to change the rest of your year? How does this change? You know, make it a question um that they that they have to think just a little bit about without being a total softball. Right. Um, but, but an interesting question, like what, what, what's this going to, how does this change the next year you know, for a first time winner? How does this change how you see yourself? How does this change how you're going to go about planning the rest of your year?
1: Right. It almost invokes um, just a little bit of motion for that short
2: answer anth- time, right? You, you bet. And if, and if you ask even the simplest question, Steve Stricker's going to cry.
1: <laughs> right,
3: Or Brad right. Sned, or Brad Snedeker. Or Brad Snedeker, you know?
0: or Brad Snedeker exactly. <laughs> Love those guys. Tricks and sneds.
3: Yeah. Uh huh. Who knew? So, yep.
0: I think we'll let you go on on this last question here. Um, This is a selfish one on my part. I'm going to the my first Masters this year um with Yay. my dad, my brother, and one of my best Jealous. friends, Greg. And And are
2: you going to a a tournament round or a practice round?
0: We're going, we got Wednesday tickets. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. Um, The first general part of this question is your advice to a first-time Masters goer, in case there's other listeners out there that are going for the first time. And second, I want to talk Wednesday strategy because I've heard different things. I've heard that it's better to walk the course super early when hardly anyone's mm-hmm. on it on Wednesday, and then you can mm-hmm. still get to the par three tournament when it starts. Or I've heard yep. some people tell me walk the full course during the par three, but it seems silly to me to miss being able to see Jack and, and all of the, the kids and, right. and, and that right. scene. So I was curious those two questions for you.
2: Okay. First thing you have to do is wear wear the most comfortable pair of shoes known to man. <laughs> okay. Okay. Easy. Easy. Because it's it's extremely hilly, and you're going to be on your feet all day long, and you're not going back, to, you're not going back to reboot a mistake. Right. So, footwear is key. uh If you know, pay attention to the weather forecast, dress in layers, all that sort of stuff. It could get very warm. Ooh. It could actually get very cold.
1: Things tough for an LA. I mean guy. that
2: time. Yeah, that time of the year, the weather changes kind of quickly. Wow. And they. And they've evacuated on Wednesdays too when they've really had sure. the bad stuff move in. So just be aware of that. Okay. I particularly would tell you to get out there as early as possible and go as far away as possible, which would be either 5 or 13, and start crossing over and walking back up. Mm. Because the golf course does cross over a decent amount of times. So you'll have that's, a nice little crossover.
1: That's good.
2: Around 16, 7, green in that in that neighborhood, you'll have another one, ten, seventeen or a seventeen green out in that little cove. You can see T shots at eleven. And stand behind twelve. Get get up there and really kind of take it in because it's a big wide view where you have people coming from your left going down eleven, the whole layout at twelve, and realize how sharp the dog leg is at thirteen.
3: Mm.
2: So get yourself into places where you can see really multiple shots, but also understand how severe the terrain is because I think every time somebody goes the first time they go, I had no idea it was that hilly and it was that big.
0: So what's the downside of, go, of walking one to 18 to get a sense of the, the flow of the round?
2: Nothing. Okay. If, if I had to do it, actually, I would go backwards. Interesting. I would, I would
1: go from 18, 18 to one.
0: Well, it sounds like I've got my game plan. I mean, should we get a master's yeah, but- pick from you before we go in February?
1: <laughs>
0: I, I, I think we should.
1: So six weeks out, wow. Maybe a dark horse.
0: <laughs> I don't
2: think dark I don't course. think he's so dark, but I think he's so do. And I think John Rahm's gonna yeah. make a lot wow. of noise. Wow.
0: Love it. He's yeah, he's played well I think there. He's gonna make a lot of noise ever since he was a rookie. He has
2: played extremely well there, and I think he's got his his emotions. Um, he's he knows where he has not been at his best in major championships. And I think it's his time.
0: Wow. Awesome. Well, is there anything it. you want to plug I'll or have it. people check out? We know you've been involved in helping pay students school lunch debt, which we think is oh, awesome. Yeah. And not which, sure if there's a way gosh. for people to give back to that or anything you want people to know?
2: Well, you can do that by simply picking up the phone to their local school district mm. and find out if there's a particular family in need, a classroom in need. Uh, in my situation, it was, you know, it was an elementary school. Um, even one family, you know, it, it can help immensely. And it's a debt that a lot of people don't realize is out there. And some of it's, yeah, you know, mom and dad got crazy busy and they forgot to send the kids to school with, with lunch money. And, and that goes into that pool.
3: Hmm.
0: But
2: most of it is is people who just have so much less and they need a little help.
0: Well, Daddy, yeah, you're the pick best. Pick up
2: the phone to your school district. No, oh, I, I enjoyed talking. Thanks with you guys. for it's coming back
0: cool. on. Um, it's we look forward to pleasure. watching you. And who knows, maybe we'll see you at the Masters. Maybe we'll, we'll say hello.
2: I would love that. Please do.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much. All right. Have thanks, a great, uh, thanks, great Daddy. Weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
2: You as well. Thanks. Okay. Bye.
0: Sound check. Check one two one two.
2: Check
1: one two one two. It's the
0: extent of my mouth. Coming
1: live from Chicago six four three five.
0: (laughs) Sarm, how's the weather there right now?
1: The sun is out, and that's all that matters. It's going to be forty five on Saturday. Whoa! Hit some balls. That's what we do in Chicago, not out in L A.